The new and improved Speaker Politics podcast is back for season two. And with just a few days before the UK heads to the polls, this episode is our election special. I'm Joshua Dykes and this is The Speaker. The Speaker, inspiring the next generation in politics. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of the Speaker Politics podcast with more interviews, new guests and of course new news. Of course some things don't change and we'll still be talking about the B word but fear not, we'll keep it about much more than just Brexit. This week we look ahead at the UK general election with the UK set to head to the polls from 7am on Thursday the 12th of December. We'll also be taking a look at the protests in multiple countries around the world, including in France, a year on from the start of the Gilets Jaunes movement. Plus, we'll be hearing from a student who feels that because of its political situation, he has no future in Northern Ireland. First, here's a sick roundup of the key policy pledges by the major parties in the election campaign so far. Boris Johnson will be hoping for his perfect Christmas present, a Commons majority. The Conservative headline slogan in the election campaign is Get Brexit Done, while the party is also pledging £2 billion for the biggest ever pothole filling programme, training for 50,000 new nurses, a new £3 billion national skills fund to allow adults to retrain, and the deployment of 20,000 more police officers to the streets. Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has described his party's manifesto and its offering as radical. It includes pledges to give the public a final say on Brexit, to deliver free broadband to all UK homes and businesses by 2030, to introduce a real living wage of at least £10 an hour, to abolish prescription charges in England, and to nationalise mail, rail, energy and water. The SNP are pledging to stop Brexit, ask the government to allow Scotland to hold a second independence referendum next year, campaign for drug classification powers to be devolved to Holyrood, and also increase paternity leave, another policy area which is currently controlled by Westminster. Joe Swinson and the Liberal Democrats are pledging to stop Brexit, either by revoking Article 50 if they win a majority, or by holding a second referendum on the issue otherwise. The party's manifesto, entitled Stop Brexit, Build a Brighter Britain, features pledges to scrap SATs tests in schools, invest £1 billion into community policing, freeze rail fares and season ticket prices, employ an extra 20,000 teachers, and to release £130 billion of investment for infrastructure to upgrade transport and energy systems. Nigel Farage pledged a political revolution that puts ordinary people first as he launched the Brexit Party Manifesto, which pledges to scrap VAT on fuel bills, plant millions of trees to absorb carbon emissions, ban the exporting of waste to other countries for it to be burned, provide free Wi-Fi on all public transport, and to make changes and add new guidelines to the Supreme Court. The Green Party manifesto largely focuses on a Green New Deal and policies to help save the environment. These include cutting greenhouse gas emissions to zero, 
replacing petrol and diesel cars within a decade and to plant 700 million trees by 2030. The party is also pledging to scrap the HS2 project and scrap the first-past-the-post electoral system. For many more policy pledges and the latest top news from the election, head over to our election centre at speakerpolitics.co.uk forward slash election. I'm now joined by my first guest, Max from Kent, who is a member of the Student Brexit Group. Max, do you think that Brexit is the most important issue in this election? No, I definitely think it's one of the most important issues in the election. You know, we, we haven't left yet. It's been three and a half years. Um, but, you know, when you look at, you know, YouGov polls and all such like that, you know, a lot of people are interested in other topics such as, you know, the NHS or our economy. Um, because there is so much you know, Brexit exhaustion, basically, from you know, the British people, um, I think for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's, it's not at the forefront of their minds. This isn't the European elections, you know. Um, you know, general elections are so much different. It's got so many more different sort of um, variables and topics to, to think about. So I think for, you know, most people, including myself, you know, Brexit is the, um, still the number one priority, as we haven't left yet. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it hasn't got as much significance or importance that I think the mainstream media probably is letting on. Do you think the election will solve the issue of Brexit? I don't think, you know, it, it really is. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, last night's YouGov poll, I mean, apparently the Conservatives are going to get 359 seats, in which case, you know, Boris Johnson's deal is going to you know, fly through the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Uh, and then we're going to have to go through, you know, the actual you know, the second part of leaving. You know, actually, like arranging, you know, the terms, arranging a way to leave, and arranging you know, a future relationship with the European Union. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion, however, that a hung parliament is more likely than a Boris Johnson majority. So, if that is the case, you know, Brexit by is definitely not over. Uh, and if we do have a second, um, well, if we have a, a second hung parliament, we're going to have a second referendum. Uh, that, for me, is clear in my mind. You know, um, in which case, you know, either one way or another, you know, we're going to we're going to find out if we're going to leave or remain. But um, I never know for sure. You know, I, th- I think uh, I don't think Brexit is anywhere near close to being finished. What, in your opinion, would be the best conclusion for Brexit? Um, for myself, you know, I, I was always an advocate for no deal. Um that's just because, you know, we're leaving all the institutions of the European Union. You know, we don't have to give over £39 billion, for example. And then we can, you know, we can decide for ourselves. Uh, I mean, Theresa May probably were the, one of the worst negotiating tactics in the, in the history of politics, you know. Basically saying to EU, we're going to get arranged the best deal possible, but we're not going to walk away from the table. You know, that's just, in terms of business, that's just, it's, it's just simple. You have to be able to walk away from the table. So for me, ideally, you know, a, a no-deal uh, it would have been best, but I'm very open to you know, the idea of like, a free trade agreement. If that is ever possible with the European Union, I'd, I'd, I'd take that. I'd compromise on that, you know. Um, but I don't think you know the deal on the table is any good either. <laughs> How do you think the election campaigning in general has been going so far? Oh, I mean, the, um, the, the the launch of both the Conservatives and the Labour was horrific. You know, you know, you had the Welsh minister, you have to resign. You know. Uh, Labour was just flooded around him. I don't think anyone's having a, a good campaign, really. You know, Liberal Democrats, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, this huge revoke party, you know, getting, like, sweeping the whole Remainer vote across the country. 
And actually, people are just looking at Jonas Swinson again, not a particularly good leader. Uh, there's very little energy and enthusiasm from that camp for Labour, you know, with this whole thing with the chief rabbi and that horrific interview. Um, hopefully mine's better, but with the horrific interview that <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn had with Andrew Neil. Uh, so I don't think it's going very well for Labour. In terms of the Conservatives, you know, I, I think it's going OK. You know, if if these YouGov polls are right, you know, then they, they must be a bit more buoyant. Um, and, you know, the, the, the slogan, let's get Brexit done. You know, regardless if I think, you know, deal with Brexit or not, it's resonating with people. Uh, I know the Brexit Party are having a good campaign. I know that they're going around doing their conferences across the UK. Um, but, you know, I think, I think I think everyone's really, when they're knocking on people's doors, they're starting to realise, or they should be realising, you know, the anger and the exhaustion people have got from politics. You know, we're only supposed to care about, <laughs> we're only supposed to care at general elections. Politics has been shoved down everyone's throats the last few years. So now I think, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be having a perfect campaign, but as of the moment, I think probably the Conservatives are most happy. Do you think that the Brexit party can do well or will it be a non-starter? I think, I think you know, in terms of, you know, the Brexit party, um, I think there are seats they can win. I think there are seats they can win. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Sheeran Brexit group, we're doing a lot of stuff with Sedfield, Dr. David Bull, you know, even... You know, with the polls thing, when you actually go on the ground, when you talk to people, you know, it's not very, re- re- you know, retrospective of what's being said on the, on the polls. A lot of people are saying, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Conservative, I'm Labour, but I'm going to vote for the Brexit Party. I think a handful of seats in you know, the Brexit Party can do well, and, you know, Hartlepool, you know, Wakefield, um, potentially Ashfield, Martin Daubeny. I think they can do a fantastic, you know, his campaign's fantastic, along with Dr. David Bulls. I think there's they can do well. In. Like, I, know, I know Michelle Dubry's got a very close seat as well. Uh, I'm not saying sitting here saying the Aero Brexit Party is going to win 100 seats. or I think even the most they could probably win at this rate is 12. And that is really at a push. Um, I think it's a categoric error from the Conservatives. You know, the Brexit Party stood down in 317 seats. The Tories should have had the decency, you know, to actually say, look, let's we're, we're not going to win in these seats that we've never won before. You know, um, let's, you know, step back, allow the Brexit Party to get in. You know, the Brexit Party would always prop up, you know, the Conservatives. That, no, one would, no one would even have to ask that. It's, it's that you know, clear and obvious uh, if it meant, you know, having to form a government or supporting the Tories. Um, so, no, there are, there are seats they can do, they can do very, very well in. Um, I wish they were fighting, you know, in Ramona seats, you know, um, you know, places like Broxstow. I mean, the Brexit Party was standing. It was a huge leave and we would have probably helped, you know, get rid of Anna Zubri. Um and there's a lot of, you know, conservative Remainers who, you know, were blocking uh, both Theresa May and Boris Johnson's deals who are standing unopposed. So, yes, that, that, but that's more on, that's much more small things. But no, I think they're going to do right. I think they will do right. Um, I think uh, in terms of uh, the vote share, of course, it's going to be down. Um, if you, even if you take, you know, UKIP, when the Nigel Farage's part, former party, um, you know, got four four million votes in, in a general election but got no seats because we're stepping down from so many seats it's it's not going to see we're not going to see those numbers for the party um but you know think fingers crossed you know i would love to see uh you know decent decent you know honorable politicians such as you know martin daubeny and dr david bull and richard tice in hartlepool you know actually get in and represent 
levers. Thank you for speaking to us, Max. No, it's fine. No, no, it's absolutely my pleasure. My second guest is Taylor Donoghue-Smith, the General Secretary of the Lancaster University Liberal Democrat Society, who gives us a Remain-supporting view. Taylor, do you think Brexit is the most important issue in this election? Yeah, simple answer, yeah, it has to be. Um, But there are a lot of important issues, investment, public services, you know, making sure that we we do have a country that's fit for the 21st century and investment in technology. Um, But none of that's going to be, you know, we've had three years of, you know, deadlock because of Brexit. And unless we get that solved, we're not going to have the time or the resources to actually talk about anything else. So I feel Brexit has to be discussed at this election as the priority, and it needs to be something that we, we... you know, one way or another, this has to be, you know, this has to come to a conclusion where we vote to leave or where we vote to remain. We have to see the end of it. Otherwise, we're not we're not going to get on to anything else, really. Do you think the election will solve the issue of Brexit? Indirectly, yeah. I think if you if you, if you look at the, you, know, you look at the, uh, the balance of power, um, it has the potential to either provide a mandate for, for Boris Johnson and his and his Brexit plan. Or it could push us more towards, uh, you know, a, a somewhat of a mandate for a people's vote. I mean, I know, I know, we didn't have it in the last parliament, but you know, you've got you've got the Unite to Remain pact that could really, really alter things. But I think that it's one way of solving it. But I think, as I remember Tony Blair saying, um, the only way we're really going to resolve this is through a referendum. We this was this was you know a, a decision taken based on on. You know, on on one thing, and an election is inherently about more than a single issue. So, really, if you want to get it done completely, if you want to resolve this completely, I think that you would have to have a referendum. You know, I think the it's that question of is there a mandate for your form Brexit in a, in an election in which it's not the only topic of discussion? I think it's a really interesting sort of point to be had really what in your opinion would be the best conclusion for brexit to stop it <laughs> to stop it i just i there's, there's 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 no deal better than the one we've already got you know we, we we're exempt from the schengen zone we're uh, you know we've got an opt-out from the euro um you know all the forecasts suggest that leaving the the eu would would harm this country country financially and i i just It just no, it just doesn't make sense to sort of take such a dramatic decision based on a a, a mandate that is now three years old, older than the, the you know the average length of most parliaments. Um, you know, um, people have the right to 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 change the mind if they want to. You know, it's it's not it's not as if we're asking do you want you know do you want to change the voting system or do you want to I don't know take the bins out on a Tuesday or a Thursday. We're asking about the most important constitutional moment in this country's modern history and yeah people are allowed to change their minds if they want and I think that now that we know a lot more about what might happen in the result you know in in, in the event that we do leave I still just don't see the I just don't see the, the, the benefits really how do you think election campaigning in general has been going so far not very well 
for anyone really. I, I, I think this has been a very, it's a very apathetic election to be honest. I know uh, the mood in the country is, you know, not another, not, not another election, not another referendum. There's, you know, so much, so much politics really. Um, I think the Tories are running scared. To be honest, they're not really, you know, um, there's this bluster about getting Brexit done and whatever. But they've, they've, they've been in power nine years. They talk about Britain, you know, deserving something more than this. But how can you say that when it's been, you know, your legacy being debated here? They've just not really engaged with the country at all. I think the decision not to, to, uh, to attend the climate debate the other night just shows the, the lack of, regard of care for you know, climate change and for just it's just it's I don't I don't have any words it's just, it, I just for Labour I, I think that they've, they've they've done a decent job in trying to in trying to move it away from Brexit as they did in 2017 moving it towards more domestic issues um, but even so I think that They'll always be played by the fact that their position on Brexit is so is so unclear. Really, you know, they they they, they want a referendum, but they don't know how they're going to. They don't know how they don't know what they're going to support on that. I just think that, that Corbyn doesn't have the same. You know, we know a lot more about Corbyn now. Is his popularity is is a, is a is a lot less certain than it was in twenty seventeen. Um, he's not. It's not got the same shine and the same magic to him as he did in twenty seventeen. I think that does harm him a bit because that was that was what he sort of um, he really managed to play on that last time around. It's just not really not really the same, to be honest. Um, for the Lib Dems, I think that it's always harder for the third for the third party. It's always in in, in a first past the post system. It's always going to be hard for you to to convince the public that you are worthy of voting for, that you are um, relevant, really. Um, I think there's, you know, you know, we've, done some good st we've done some good stuff, but I, I think that it would be nice to see us pushing our other policies, because a, lo a, a lot of people seem to think that we are the, you know, the, just the stop Brexit party, the one, the one policy party. And I can understand where that comes from, but we do have so many progressive policies that would push this country in a better direction I just I think it'd be great if we were to to be able to focus on that a bit more do you think the Brexit party can do well or will it be a non-starter I don't think they'll gain many seats especially especially with the, the you know the, I think they can impact in in, in labor held areas definitely still I think they can they, they can definitely siphon votes. But their impact a lot is, is lessened now that they're not standing in in, in, in Tory held seats because I think the, the the main impact actually would have been that standing in these Tory held seats would have empowered the Liberal Democrats and empowered to a lesser extent Labour. Um, I mean, it remains to be seen what happens, but I, I, I definitely don't think they'll, they, their their impact will be as 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 big as some people thought it would have been at the start of the campaign. I know a lot of people were thinking, you know, the Brexit Party, 14, 15% of the polls had the chance to really make a difference. But who knows, really? Thank you for speaking to us, Taylor.
And now we move our focus to Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland has been without a government for over 1,050 days. In Northern Ireland, the government's power must be shared between two different political parties as a result of the Good Friday Agreement, which was signed in April 1998 to bring peace to Northern Ireland and end a period of troubling conflict in the region called the Troubles. However, over two years ago, there was a power-sharing argument between the DUP and Sinn Féin, the two parties in power, which ultimately resulted in the collapse of the government. Recently, we interviewed a politics student, Oliver Allen, and asked him for his thoughts on this political situation in Northern Ireland. Ollie, what does the lack of government mean for people in Northern Ireland, and how has it been affecting them? Well, the fact that we don't have a government, it kind of means that we don't have that much of a voice and we aren't really being heard by the rest of the mainland UK. Like, the we don't have anybody there to represent us. Yes, we have the MPs who come over, but it should really be Stormont that is there to represent Northern Ireland and the wishes of the Northern Irish people. I mean, that was why we had a devolved government in the first place. I don't, like, the... I mean, it's affected us in the last... even in the last couple of days with the abortion and... Um, gay marriage being legalized. I mean, I'm all for abortion and like choice and um, gay marriage, but you can see in that way that it's been affecting us. That wouldn't have happened if there had been, um, if Stormont had been sitting because the DUP are the largest party and they're so against it. Um, so that wouldn't really have happened. So it has been affecting us sort of in quite a big way that we don't have government. Is it frustrating to know that you don't have much of a voice? Yeah, because especially I, being like keen on politics, it's difficult to sort of look at the country where you've grown up and you love and see no future there. Because I don't see a future in Northern Ireland for myself because the politics over there is so few. I mean, I it's... You either sit as an MP, at the minute you would either have to sit as an MP or a local, local councillor. There is no stormant really, so to speak, for us to go to and actually get our political voice heard. Why do you think the parties haven't been able to reach an agreement to reform the government? Um, well, it all started with the um, RHI, the Renewable Heating Initiative scandal. Um, and I think... It was just sort of furthered on with the Irish Language Act and then after that it just broke down and I think that without serious reform of the way that Stormont is or the two parties, the two governing parties, the DUP and Sinn Féin, that we're not going to see a government for a long time. The two parties just aren't able to cooperate and work together. Um, I mean, there's not really much that anybody can do about that apart from within their parties. There have been some people who have suggested that Westminster takes over power again. What do you think of this suggestion? I think that could be a bit dicey. Um, I am quite centrist, so I wouldn't vote for DUP or Sinn Féin. I would vote more along centre lines. But um, I think that could spark a bit of tension in Northern Ireland, just living there and knowing people from both communities, both Protestant and Catholic. I think that if we were to go, to go back to direct rule, then um, it might start up a bit of trouble again. Mm. I mean, that's what um, the hunger strikes and the troubles were about. It was about getting Northern Irish independence. And I just think that 
if we did go backwards that it might sort of not reignite it but it might go in that way do you think Brexit could increase the chances of Northern Ireland splitting ties with the UK? Um, I think so. Um, in Boris Johnson's recent deal, was there not a border proposed between and the RC? I was, I'd, I'd heard that that was um, an option, and I think that if that happens, then um, an Irish unity referendum wouldn't be too far around the corner. I think um, looking at the way that the population is at the minute in Northern Ireland, there is an increasingly increasing number of um, Catholic people. Um, and I think that that might also sort of lead towards um, a united Ireland. And I think Brexit sort of has brought up, brought it more to the forefront, um, the idea of a united, united Ireland, because quite i mean northern ireland if you look at just northern ireland is not the whole of the uk northern ireland voted to remain and an option for us to remain is to unite with ireland as opposed to the rest of the uk so then we would still in effect be in the eu so i think it sort of has brought it more to the forefront and that the dup backing um brexit have shot themselves in the foot because now they could be looking at a united ireland a few a while down the line what from your perspective would be the best brexit outcome for northern ireland um personally for me no brexit (laughs) but (laughs) looks like it's going to happen so um i'm not too sure actually i think that it will be difficult for Northern Ireland because we are set apart from the rest of the mainland UK. But uh, I still think that we will do all right with our links, like with the land border with Ireland, sort of gives us like a direct link to the EU. So hopefully that will sort of protect us in a way, but um, I'm not sure. We'll just have to wait and see what happens, I suppose. Thank you, Ollie. It's now been over a year since the start of the Gilets Jaunes protest in France, which started as a protest over fuel tax. It soon grew to be much more, and I'm joined now by Stephanie Whitehead to discuss this. Stephanie just reminds us how the protests originally started. Okay, so the Gilets Jaunes protests originally started um, just over a year ago, probably towards the end of October was probably the, the initial... Uh, start of it um, after um, President Macron decided that he wanted as a way of cutting emissions that were produced by France in comparison to other European countries um, he decided that he was going to place a carbon tax uh, sorry not a carbon tax a fuel tax on on petrol um, and therefore encouraging people to use other forms of transport however um with the increase of taxes that there has been in the past within France, um, even before Macron's term as president, people did get very angry about this and basically started to protest in order to get the tax removed, which eventually did happen. And it, the, it was probably most prominent 
prominent in poorer areas of France um, and also rural areas where more people will use cars to get around because obviously public transport isn't as well connected within those areas. And eventually around December time of last year, Macron removed the plans to um, add a fuel tax to petrol. However, the protest then continued as I think it um, ori- the original idea of fuel tax actually highlighted a number of other issues in relation to taxation, cost of living in France, which have obviously still continued today. How have the demands of the protesters changed over time? So I think over time, they've probably become... They- it probably stayed the same. However, they've definitely shifted more towards the idea of, of a complete overhaul of the system. There's, if you go to France, in some parts of France, there's actually graffiti in a lot of places that um, reads Macron out. Um, people want him to resign and they want a president who is going to listen to their demands and make the cost of living easier to live with in France but also as well from what I've learned more recently is that a lot of civil servants um, have uh, have also joined in the protests alongside trade unions so I think it's almost becoming like the new May 1968 protests that people people want um, they they just they they kind of want more equality in France they don't they're a pe- think people are fed up of this idea that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer as a result of taxation but also because of the elitism that's sort of inherent within France's culture. What in your opinion do you think the future might hold for French politics? I certainly believe that there is definitely an opportunity um, for another party to sort of arise from the Gilets Jaunes. However, the Gilets Jaunes have have always been quite adamant not to sort of be recognised as a group that has a leader. Um, They definitely have um, almost an agenda not to be led. Um, I don't know whether that's sort of uh, in as kind of symbolic to the fact that they don't want um it's symbolic to sort of their anti-establishment movement or or what i don't know however um the opportunity is is there i think for for something to arise obviously um on marsh when it first began um was a very new party um and it was quite surprising that such a new party um, won the election um, despite being pretty much in its infancy at the time. Um, and it, the issue that happened there was it was this brand new party that had lots of new ideas um, of how it was going to reform the financial situation in France. Um, so, for example, Macron actually said um, that he was going to have a to sort of freeze um, an increase in tax in taxation in France if he won the election, and he hasn't um, he hasn't delivered on that. He has actually um, continued to increase taxes, as we have seen um, with um, the gilets jaunes and and what started the the protests. Um, 
And so it almost highlights um, the fact that um, there is maybe it is possible that people are seeing um, opportunities to start new parties and promise new agendas that are going to benefit people before sort of settling back into the status quo. Um, so it's 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 really hard to tell if um, something going to happen, um, such as a, a party that will deliver on promises and and will actually. Um, create a better life for working people in France. At the moment, it, it's likely that things will just stay as they are until something, until maybe the next election um, brings something new to the agenda. In other news now, and it looks as if Spain has made progress towards the formation of a new government. The November general election, that's Spain's fourth general election since 2015, did not break the deadlock as Sanchez had hoped when he called it after a no party reached a majority in April. Instead, the results brought alight Spain's move away from the traditional two-party politics to a multi-party political system, with vote shares further fragmenting. Following an internal survey of members, the independentist party, Esquerra Republicana de Catalunya, or the ERC, has moved to support the proposed coalition government in Spain in return for talks between the Spanish and Catalan governments. Without the support of smaller secessionist parties such as the ERC, the leader of the Socialist Party, Pedro Sánchez, will be unable to form his promised progressive government. A preliminary coalition deal was reached several weeks ago between the Socialists who topped the November polls and the far-left Unidas Podemos. In Nigeria, an anti-social media bill has passed for its second reading in the Nigerian Senate, paving the way for it becoming law. According to reports, the bill officially called Protection from Internet Falsehood and Manipulation Bill 2019 could also give power to the Nigerian government to unilaterally order the shutdown of the internet. There has been significant opposition to the bill, with fears it could endanger freedom of speech. And finally, in Hong Kong, district elections have resulted in an almost sweeping victory for pro-democracy candidates, with 17 out of 18 districts choosing representatives under the pro-democracy banner. You can read more on this story and much more on our website at speakerpolitics.co.uk. But that is all from this episode of the Speaker Politics podcast. Be sure to check out our website and follow us on social media for the latest election news and more. But for now, thank you to our guests and thank you for listening. The Speaker, inspiring the next generation in politics.